The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Civil War Talk Radio with host Jerry Prokopovich. Our program covers all aspects of Civil War history, from the battlefields to the home fronts, and features guest experts, plus insight from your host as they discuss the most critical period in American history. Now, here is your host, Jerry Prokopovich. Thanks, and welcome to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich. We typically talk about books on Civil War history, sometimes museum exhibits, battlefields, other physical aspects of the war. Tonight, using the digital technology that is Civil War Talk Radio, we will explore the digital history of the war, specifically the Civil War on the Western Border, the new award-winning digital history exhibit presented by the Kansas City Public Library, and we'll learn about it from digital history specialist Jason Rowe. That's tonight on Civil War Talk Radio. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. The Voice America Interactive Radio Player, powered by Aircast, gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand. No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry, powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu dot edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P-O-W-I-C-Z-G at ecu Edu. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. And welcome to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, coming to you as every week from the third floor of the Brewster Building here on the campus of East Carolina University in Greenville, North Carolina, where we sit as one of the outposts of the University of North Carolina system, but not speaking for the system, not speaking for UNC or ECU or the history department or any other entity, just me for myself, my guest likewise for himself, as we do every week here on Civil War Talk Radio. Most weeks I start off, uh, and it seems like it's been increasing uh, for the last two years, describing the uh, gloomy situation in public higher education. Not this week, only happy stories 
We'll try to vary that up a little bit. Three happy stories to start the week out uh, this week. First, the Lincoln Studies Center in Galesburg, Illinois at Knox College held its annual uh, meeting last week. We had a a public lecture by Matt Pinsker, a friend of the show. He's the author of Lincoln's Sanctuary, a book about the the uh, soldiers and sailors home, the Anderson Cottage in Northwest D.C. And uh, Matt gave a very interesting lecture on a book he's working on on Lincoln as politician. As soon as that comes out, he'll be on the show. And then the board of directors of the Lincoln Studies Center, all of them former guests on the show. Uh, uh, got together and we talked with the hosts, uh, the the people who are the Lincoln Studies Center, Douglas Wilson and Rodney Davis, of uh, both retired from Knox College. And I just want to give full credit to the outstanding work that Rod and Doug do as the Lincoln Studies Center. They have produced over the years some really important volumes of uh, Herndon's informants, uh, perhaps the most well-known of them, a collection of all the uh, primary source material that William Herndon collected after the death of Abraham Lincoln. They also have produced a new edition of Herndon's Lincoln, the biography of Lincoln that Herndon worked on, though he didn't actually write. They've produced a, a new volume of the, the edition of the Lincoln-Douglas debates. And this week we saw their latest uh, institutional production the original manuscript edition of the Civil War Diary of Gideon Wells, who, of course, was the Secretary of the Navy. Uh, this was edited by the late Bill Gnapp and his wife, Erica. Gnapp has a foreword by James McPherson, whom everybody listening knows about. And it is a really handsome and impressive-looking volume. I've, like many of you, I've, I've read the easily available version of Wells' diary that's been out. I've forgotten the editor's name. I don't see it on the shelf handy. Uh, but this is uh, from the original and looks to be very much worth reading. I'm anxious to do it, and hopefully we'll have either someone from the study center or maybe Mrs. Gnapp can come on the show and talk to us about it sometime in the future. But if you see it in uh, on Amazon or anywhere else, click through the links here at this uh, website at uh, impedimentsofwar.org. Uh, would be a good place to do it. It's published by the University of Illinois Press. So there's a plug for the work of the Lincoln Study Center in their beautiful new edition of the Diary of Gideon Wells. Uh, very much worth getting your hands on. Uh, a second bit of good news followed our meeting on Saturday. I then drove my... Uh, a uh, snappy uh, rental car across the prairie and uh, had the advantage of satellite radio driving from Galesburg to Bloomington, Indiana, where I was scheduled to speak on Saturday evening. And through the miracle of satellite radio, I was able to listen to one game after another from stadiums all over the country and enjoyed hearing the ECU Pirates defeating the 17th ranked Virginia Tech team, uh, hearing the West or hearing the, the Virginia, Virginia Tech feed was even better because the announcers were just crying and moaning about how they weren't beating ECU. They were uh, their their sadness was my delight that afternoon, and I'm sure I'm losing all my Virginia Tech alumni listeners here. But uh, so 
sorry, that that was a a good game and, and better team won. After that, uh, the five-hour drive ended up taking five hours and five minutes. I was just a few minutes late to arrive in Bloomington, Indiana. But the third bit of good news was to uh, report on the very pleasant evening spent with the Monroe County Civil War Roundtable in Bloomington, Indiana. At the Monroe County History Center, Scott Schroeder and his crew did an outstanding job. They have a a brand new logo to show off. They have uh, a great group, and they were kind enough to stay and ask questions about Abraham Lincoln uh, well past our allotted hour, and I enjoyed it thoroughly. The questions were great. I enjoyed going out uh, afterwards for dinner with Scott and Mike and having a further good talk, and it was really a pleasant evening after a, a long drive and a busy morning. So a great Weekend in the Civil War world, uh, nothing to do with budgets or uh, class schedules or anything, doing what I thoroughly enjoy doing and and, uh, hope to come to wherever you are listening and and talk to your roundtable group sometime. Uh, It's it's always fun for me. I hope it was fun for the listeners because it was a, a really pleasant weekend. Now, this weekend, East Carolina plays UNC, the uh, working-class regional school, East Carolina, against the haughty flagship UNC Chapel Hill. And uh, my allegiances are theoretically complicated because my younger daughter has started attending UNC Chapel Hill this fall. But in fact, it just makes me want to beat them all the more. They're getting my money. Uh, They've got my daughter. And now I'd like to see ECU put their football team in its place. We'll talk about that next week or not, depending on the outcome of the game. Next week, uh, we will talk about Abraham Lincoln. Specifically, John Barr will join us to talk about his book, Loathing Lincoln, an American tradition from the Civil War to the present. Uh, A fascinating subject. People don't all admire Abraham Lincoln, it turns out, and we'll find out who doesn't and why. Coming up on the show after that, in October, we've got Rick Sowers, The Fishing Creek Confederacy, a story of Civil War draft resistance. Uh, Sowers has also written uh, a number of other books and is currently uh, involved in a, a non-Civil War museum, so it'll be interesting to hear about that. October 8th, anniversary of the Battle of Perryville, we have a non-Perryville show. Keith Hardison is director of the North Carolina Historic Sites, and he'll be with us. October 15th, Brigadier General Jack Mountcastle, retired, joins us to talk about uh, his time as the Chief of Military History for the Army and now his current exploits as a battlefield staff ride leader. On October 22nd, the opinionator Jamie Malinowski joins us uh, to discuss his book, Commander Will Cushing, Daredevil Hero of the Civil War. At the end of October, on the 29th, William Still, the founder of East Carolina University's Maritime History and Archaeology Program, the Maritime Studies Program, will be with us. He's the author of Iron Afloat, about Confederate ironclads, and has spent a career diving on uh, Civil War and other historical wrecks. And uh, after that, we get into November. Uh, Caroline Janey has written Remembering the Civil War. We last had around more than five years ago, and she'll be back. 
So lots more coming up. We've got other shows after that, but let's get to tonight's uh, guest before too long. Last thing to note, though, as always, Impediments of War, www.impedimentsofwar.org, the second most important website we're going to talk about tonight. Uh, that's where you can find out who's on the show. You can donate to the show through the PayPal button. Feel free, please, to do that. So, uh, as I said last week, it's really true. The the old Volkswagen is dropping its transmission, so uh, time to buy the new, uh, sort of torn between the little red Corvette, uh, or actually it'll probably be a Honda Civic, because real life is what it is. Uh, but whatever it is, uh, uh, we'll be making those payments again. Enough of that. Let's talk history. www.civilwaronthewesternborder. That's all one word. Civilwaronthewesternborder.org is a website that recently won the 2014 Excellence in Public History Award from the Society of Civil War Historians. That's where I found out about it reading their bulletin. Uh, an article by Ann Sarah Rubin, and I thought I've got to check out this website. I did, and then called uh, Jason Rowe, who is the digital history specialist at the Kansas City Public Library, and helped put this together, and he joins us tonight uh, to talk about this public history, digital history, Civil War history project. Jason, are you there? Hey. And up, oh, check it. There we go, and we're on. Jason, you're there. Yes. Um, Excellent. You hear me now? Thank you for I having me on the show. Oh, welcome. Glad yeah. you could be here. Well, tell us uh, a little bit about how one gets to be a digital history specialist. Uh, uh, it's it's not a job description that is widely seen. Um, no, it isn't. It's it's a description that um, didn't exist before I even got the job. So. Kind of it developed um, while I was working on the job, uh, so we would really have to go back to um, 2012. A couple of years ago, I was um, finishing my PhD at the University of Kansas, and um, as with all of the other uh, futile attempts to get a tenure-track job by, by my friends and other colleagues, um, I was falling in the same boat. Um, but luckily, I had I had hedged my bets and done an internship. It was coordinated uh, through the Hall Center for the Humanities at, at the university, um, and, and they placed me at the Kansas City Public Library, where I had written some uh, This Week in Kansas City History column, and they were already working on this uh, Civil War on the Western Border project, and they had some staff turnover, and I got the call to come in. And I started a full-time job. It was grant-funded. And last summer, when the job switched from being grant-funded to being on the library budget, and they created this title of digital history specialist. So I'm a professional historian who works on the team that creates these amazing websites. So. Well, it is, uh, it's the way things are nowadays, the old pattern of just you know, write your dissertation, get a tenure-track job, move up the ranks, that's going to become rarer and rarer uh, over time, and, and more of us are going to have public history jobs and uh, maybe eventually end up in academia or not. Who did you work with at, at Kansas uh, 
what, and what, what was your dissertation topic? Um, I actually worked with uh, Jeff Moran, who is a 20th century U.S. historian, and my topic had nothing to do with the Civil War. I studied um, aging in the 20 in the 20th century. So Medicare, Social Security. I looked at the origins of those programs and how they um, affected the society. So the, the emergence of retirement, essentially. The um, <laughs> well, first, I'm, I'm thinking. Oh, you know. Jeff Moran, I, I remember him from Harvard. Um, yes. Yeah, uh, a, a, a colleague of mine in, in graduate school days, and not not a Civil War person. Uh, so it, it, that's interesting. No. <laughs> um, um, uh, well, if if you, if you should see him again sometime, uh, tell him I said hello. Uh, certainly. So so you, and this is a point that I make with my public history students: you acquired the skills of a historian but not necessarily uh, in the topic that you're working on right now. Did, did you have an interest in the Civil War? Did you, or was this just one of those things where, hey, it's a job, I'll take it? Um, you know, I think it started out as just being a job, I'll take it. Um, obviously, I, I grew up in Kansas, so I, I grew up learning of this rivalry between Kansas and Missouri. And um, as, as I got older, I learned that um, you know, Kansas was on the free state side, and the Missourians tended to be more pro-Southern. And, um, and, and then during the war years, they were racked by bushwhacker violence. And um, so it was, it was definitely a topic. And um, I, I think if you want to get into a career in public public history, it helps to be flexible and um, recognize. That, that all topics in history have something to share. And, and you can translate the same research skills into a variety of topics and, and do so successfully. So um, it's really a matter of public education in a lot of ways. Well, we'll uh, we're going to take a short break and come mm-hmm. back and find out what's in this website and, and how one goes about exploring it and what it has to say about the Civil War on the western border. So we'll do that in just a moment. We're talking tonight with Jason Rowe, digital history specialist at the Kansas City Public Library. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, and this is Civil War Talk Radio. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at VoiceAmericaTRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN or follow along with us at VoiceAmericaTRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. 
We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. The Voice America interactive radio player, powered by Aircast, gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand. No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry, powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu dot edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P-O-W-I-C-Z-G at ecu Edu. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. And welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, talking today with Jason Rowe from the Kansas City Public Library. Yes. And these uh-huh. the, uh, the digital history uh, specialist at the Kansas City Public Library and one of the creators of the website Civil War on the Western Border, and uh, listeners, as we talk about it, uh, probably the smart thing to do would be to log on, uh, open a browser, and look at the website, and that will help uh, maybe figure out what's going on. Uh, Typically, when a guest is on the show, I will read the book that they've written ahead of time and ask them about it, but according to the the uh, article describing the award, Jason, that you're, you're from the mm-hmm. Society for Civil War Historians, there are uh, some 6,000 pages of digitized primary source material, and uh, I'll, I'll take their word for it. I did not count, uh, but it's it's too big to read the whole thing in a week. Uh, yeah. So so let's start. If somebody wants to use this, how do you get started? Do you need a particular browser? Is it optimized for... Uh, any one particular? It, it should work on Safari, Firefox, Chrome, um, even Internet Explorer. Uh, anything, as long as it's an updated version of of any of the browsers. And we also optimized it so that it has a responsive design for mobile use. If if you want to log into it on your iPad, it will or or a Samsung Galaxy or um, equivalent tablet, it will reposition everything so that it will you can scroll through it vertically um, and be optimized on that. You can even use it on a cell phone, but I wouldn't recommend that. Do that, that, that would <laughs> that would be six thousand pages is a lot. <laughs> so. That that would be rough on the eyes. Well, when you. When one first goes to it, go to the home page, and I'm I'm talking uh, talking myself through it as I do that here. Mm-hmm. Uh, start at the home page, and I see that there are things you can look at um, uh, maps. There's a timeline. There are some essays, uh, gallery, lesson plans, partners. It looks fairly standard. I'm thinking, well, you know, it's nice. It's very attractive. Uh, 
But then I wonder, you know, what, what's award-winning about it? As an academic, my first thought is check the essays. Uh, where did wh- Who wrote the essays for this? Were they written specially for this? Is this original material? What, how did you decide what the scholarly backdrop would be? Yeah, I think the essays um, are a great place to start um, in, in this question. And everything, to answer your question, all of the essays are original for us, and um, we've had uh, two or three editors for each one. I, I was the copy editor for all of them. And uh, this actually goes back to a couple of other projects that happened at the library at the same time. We have um, this prodigious events um, schedule at the library that just Civil War topics alone in, I believe, three years brought in over 10,000 visitors to the library um, Mm. physically. So there is a lot of enthusiasm for this. And and one of those events that happened was a conference. We called it the Border Wars Conference. It actually happened about six months before I started working at the library. Um, But most of the authors who wrote essays, and um, we'll talk about the encyclopedia entries at some point that are a little shorter, um, many of them participated in this physical conference at the library. Um, So that gave us a great connection with them. Um, It gave them kind of a traditional venue, sort of traditional, if you can call an academic conference um, that attracts over a thousand visitors to be traditional, um, and that's a thousand general public visitors who um, don't have any stake in this. Um, So we established that relationship with them over time, um, by and large. And then uh, we also had grant funding from the um, William T. Kemper Foundation and, and Commerce Bank that allowed us to um, reimburse authors for each piece that they wrote for our website. And and that definitely greased the wheels as well. So these are original pieces. You also have encyclopedia entries. Uh, And again, my, my skepticism when looking at any historical website is that, you know, really any talented eighth grader can put one together and just, copy and paste materials from Wikipedia and and call it a, a website, but you've obviously done more than that. So you had people writing these encyclopedia entries? Sure. Um, yeah, well, everything has been um, written, and, and we included bylines for, for everything. So you'll see names that, that should be familiar to Civil War historians, such as Nicole Edgison or Jonathan Earl, um, Christopher Phillips. Uh, we even have T.J. Stiles, um, who wrote an essay for us. And a lot of the entries, um, and, and that's if people are following along, there's a topics A to Z list, and those dig into uh, shorter biographies or battle um, summaries. And those were written um, mostly by early career professors or advanced graduate students. So a, a lot of these are the graduate students of the professors we were working with, and they had the opportunity to um, help us out with this website and get, get a line on their CVs as well. Mm. But, but the fact is, you note know, that they're all uh, you know, 
annotated with the uh, uh, with the author's name again distinguishes this from a lot of websites where where it's anonymous, so you don't. Correct. Yeah, you have um, we have that that citation, um, and you can read a biography about Most the author and see their affiliations uh, and credentials. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, the uh, well, let's talk about the maps that are here. Uh, how 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 do they work? Well, the maps. Um, it's a fairly simple GIS. It's it's based on Google Maps or Google Earth. Um, it's been overlaid with some graphics to give it the correct feel for the time. Um, but basically, we put in the GPS coordinates for different sites, and there's a main map um, that's integrated into the, the menu. And you can select, you can narrow it down to, if you just want to view um, some bleeding Kansas sites, you can select that, and it will reorient the map and just show you those. Um, or you can just look at the battlefields. Um, now, something that could be overlooked on this page is in the lower right, there's a description that says more maps, and those are kind of interesting as well because they're detailed points that um, show a specific event, and, and my favorite of them is the one that's positioned at the very top, and that is Price's Raid, and, we, and this is the largest or longest cavalry raid in um, U.S. history, I believe. Uh, so they depart from Arkansas in the, the northeast corner, enter Missouri, and we split the invasion, the information about it, into three different columns that um, were commanded by Generals uh, Shelby, Mar- Marmaduke, and Fagan. Um, so this digital technology, the mapping, it, it allows you to put so much more information um, than you can get in a book because we can include um, lots of maps and, and the ability to zoom in on them and read about each point. Um, and on the main map, you have the ability to um, not only read about that point but click in and get a lot of links to original sources and uh, related essays and, and entries. I'm, I'm looking, uh, as you suggest, at the map of Price's Raid, and it's superimposed on a, a modern uh, map. Uh, looks like a road and county map. Mm-hmm. So that I, if I were driving from uh, St. Louis to Kansas City, I could follow this. I, I could both find my way there on I-70, but I could also see where to get off to stop and look at uh, a given engagement, and I click on Boonville and discover October 10th, 1864, 4th Battle of Boonville takes place. Uh, and there are multiple results for that same one the, uh, 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 that I can now track down. So, yeah, very, very uh, handy thing. I'm describing it this way partly. I'm picturing some of the listeners, perhaps uh, my mother may be listening, and when we say it's just GIS overlaid on a Google map, that you know, we might be speaking an alien tongue uh, for some listeners, but the the bottom line is it's a map that has everything you want to know about these topics, uh, and you find find out what happened where just by clicking on a spot on the map, and the story comes up. Uh, very efficient. 
the the well again I pause because there's so many different ways to go about this unlike a, a book where you go through it uh, chronologically you turn the pages uh, th- there's no right or wrong way to approach this uh, but another thing that really interested me was the lesson plans uh, because mm-hmm. that is something that uh, points out the, the question of who this is aimed at. Uh, you said your conference drew thousands of people who are not necessarily uh, professors or even uh, dedicated Civil War people. It's always good when public history events can reach a general audience, and it sounds like uh, uh, that's what this website is doing. Do you have records on, on how, how many people have visited um, yes, we do. We have, of course, we follow the, the Google Analytics, which tells us uh, a limited amount of demographics about visitors. Um, we can see that on at least during the school year, I think we we peaked last year um, about seven thousand users per month. So that's individual users. Mm-hmm. Um, now, the week that school ended, the usage dropped to about 4,000. So it had been growing steadily by 1,000 a month since we launched it last August. And um, so that tells me that it really is being used by students and teachers the way that we intended it to be used. And, um, well, and as you said, that, that was our goal and, and to, to reach a public audience, um, to reach, to educate students, um, give them the tools to do a little bit of research in this. Um, now, a, a professor, tenure-track professor, can certainly search our collection, and, um, and I've talked to several of them who have started some of their research on this by finding um, some, an interesting collection of documents, and maybe they go to the originating archive and... Um, do some more research and digging around. So I, I think this is a good starting off point for the professional researchers, um, and it's a good finishing point for students and teachers. I think that's a, a real accomplishment here, and that's just the direction I was, was leaning in terms of saying who this is for. It's quite easy uh, to put up a basic history website that uh, – you know, we'll answer the questions for the eighth grade student writing a paper or the, the, the freshman in college even writing a paper. But there is material here that makes me want to stay and keep playing around and looking at it. Uh, and I've read a little bit about this and not a huge amount about the war on the western border, but even someone who has, you've got these original essays, uh, you've got material that might not be so familiar, and you've got these links as you point out to archival material that would get somebody started. Uh, the lesson plans aim specifically, obviously, at teachers. Uh, when I checked them out, I thought, well, you know, maybe there's something I can use. And I noticed they are heavily larded with with uh, decimal points for what appear to be standards, perhaps state uh-huh. curriculum standards. Uh, there's no escaping that in the modern education world, unfortunately. Uh, but how did you work with uh, you know, educators to to make this precisely usable for teachers in your state? Um, 
Well, yes, we did. Uh, what we've done for the, these first three that are on there now, and, and we have plans to add more, and, and I'll talk about that in a second, but uh, for these first three, we created them in-house. Uh, we have um, sort of a similar story to me, a, a second career person who um, started out wanting to be a, a public school teacher, um, especially high school or maybe eighth grade. Um, his name is Michael Wells, and um, for whatever reason, that didn't work out. And now he works at the, the special collections department at the library. Um, but he's a certified teacher in Kansas and Missouri, so he was uh, certainly qualified to do um, to write up lesson plans that, that make use of our site and. Um, conform to both state standards. And, and, of course, they're starting to get into the common core at this point um, with both of them. So, Well, I'd, but, from my quick review of them, once you get through the the uh, education-ease and the, uh, the rubrics and the uh, objectives and all this stuff, there's actually some pretty interesting exercises to do with students. And... Uh, Ways to use documents and paintings and other things in the classroom. So yeah, you're making me think that we should put the standards at the end, so you don't have to well, scroll through them all. So, well, again, it depends who you're trying to reach, though. Doesn't yeah, it? That's, um, uh, but we wanted to put we wanted to make that easily accessible because teachers are busy and maybe this is only a week of their their semester course and um, they, they don't have time to. Um, mess around too much trying to figure out what we're we are trying to get across to them. Um, so we I mean that's sadly true. It. Sadly true. I know in my experience working in a museum, we had to find ways to create materials that the teachers could show to their principals and say, "Look, this is exactly the curriculum the state is testing us on. It'll make the school a good. Students will do better if I can take them to the museum. Yeah. It'll help them on the test." If not, you can't go. And so if your website attracts teachers because it'll help them meet standards, then uh, you know all the better. Uh, yeah. it's, it's just the world we live in now. Yeah. Well, we're going to take another short break, and we'll come back, talk more about the website, Civil War on the Western Border. Uh, it is a product of the Kansas City Public Library, and we're talking tonight with digital history specialist Jason Rowe. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, and this is Civil War Talk Radio. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? 
Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. The Voice America Interactive Radio Player, powered by Aircast, gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand. No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry, powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu dot edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P-O-W-I-C-Z-G at ecu dot edu. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. And welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, talking today with Jason Rowe from the Kansas City Public Library. Yes. And we are talking about uh, this website, for which he is the digital history uh, specialist. So, Jason, I wanted to get something before, uh, before time runs away that I thought was the most uh interesting aspect of the website, the most fun to play around with, certainly, the uh, relationship viewer. Yeah. This was something I have not seen at a lot of other uh, digital history websites. Can you explain it to uh, the listeners? Uh, um, Technologically, this is the most unique feature on our website. Uh, Really, nobody else has it at this point, so uh, you're correct to point that out. Um, what it is, is it's a, a web of relationships, and, um, and if, if you picture it, if you can't see it on the website right now, um, it has uh, basically hexagons with names and icons, um, so there, would, there are people and places and events, and for individual documents, the relationship viewer shows you uh, it's basically a graphical representation of the relationships in that document. So you can see, um, and I just clicked on, uh, I've got a slow internet connection right now, so I'm (laughs) trying to look at it, but um, basically for each document, there it is, um, I clicked on the one that is an example uh, it's, it's a court document um, involving James Montgomery and, and some other Kansans. And the first relationship that shows up, it says Charles Jennison lived in Osawatomie, Kansas. And you can click on Charles Jennison or Osawatomie, Kansas. Um, I could click on Jennison. And at this point, it pops up a window that shows you all of the relationships from our entire collection, not just that one document, um, relating to Charles Jennison. So, and what's unique about this feature, there are a lot of websites that have kind of word webs. Um, it's, it's called the semantic web. Um, 
But what makes this unique is that um, we define what the relationship is, and it has a direction. So you can see um, in what I'm looking at, Charles Jennison killed Russell Hines. And if you want to see the nature of that relationship, where we got that from, you can click on the word killed, and it will pull up three different documents, and you can click on any of those three documents. And somewhere in those documents, um, it reveals that Charles Jennison killed um, Mr. Hines. And that's uh, assuming... Uh, it could just be that he was accused of killing, but it, it's documented in the relationship is the point. So, I, I, I'm looking at the, the same page, and I see there in, in the center of the window, there's a, a, a hexagon with the label Charles R. Jennison on it. Mm-hmm. And radiating, radiating out from it are all these arrows, and each one points to another hexagon and from that I can discover he fought in the Battle of Little Blue River, he fought against Sterling Price, he was acquainted with James Kilpatrick Blunt, acquainted with Samuel Curtis, a friend of George Henry Hoyt, he commanded the first Kansas Volunteer Cavalry. So each arrow, as you say, has a verb describing he commanded or he was acquainted with or he fought in. Mm -hmm. And then it takes you to the, the subject and it really creates these webs, and there's three pages of this. This is one page with a bunch of arrows, and if I click on the next page, uh, Charles R. Jennison is still in the middle, but now there's a whole new set of arrows. He also fought in the Battle of Westport. He fought in Price's Raid. He uh, captured George Washington Hines. He was opposed by Hamilton R. Gamble, and so on. Uh, Really an interesting graphic way to show this. And one of the things that I find fascinating about the Civil War era and that students are often intrigued by is how these webs of relationships work, that uh, every Civil War talk radio listener knows about James Shields in the Shenandoah Valley. uh, And some of them know that Abraham Lincoln almost fought a duel with James Shields in 1842. Uh, knew him long before uh, the Civil War, uh, that the relationships that these people had in the small world of pre-Civil War America leads to this kind of thing, and especially in a place as confusing as the Civil War western border, Kansas and Missouri. Uh, I just find this this relationship web technology fascinating. Yeah, and, and, and our, our hope is that um, students can use this, and it's all based on documentary evidence. So it, it really drives home that point of how important the primary sources are, um, and, and a way of browsing through it in a way that that this generation, the young generation, um, can do and, and really be comfortable with. I think. It, well, exactly. It, it, it does lead you not just to uh, a Wikipedia article, but you get to a document. Mm-hmm. It tells you how, how we know that this happened. Yeah. The, uh, <laughs> speaking of relationships, I was, was thinking, uh, so this past weekend I'm at the Civil War or at the Lincoln Studies Center in Galesburg, and one of the other members of the board there is uh, Professor Jennifer Weber, mm-hmm. who teaches at the University of Kansas and does Civil War, but you were not doing Civil War, so she was not your advisor. Correct. Uh, <laughs> But I'm, I'm, you must have encountered her at some point. Yes, I, I definitely know her. <laughs> uh, so the, the connections uh, 
you, you, it would be interesting to draw one of these connection maps for Civil War scholarship. And, and she was involved in this project at the at the beginning. Um, she mm-hmm. wasn't able to write uh, an essay for us um, for her own um, reasons at, at the end. But um, but but early on, she helped with um, creating the plan for identifying documents to scan and. Um, recruiting people to write for it, and um, she helped with the conference that we hosted. So she was definitely active on this website, even though it doesn't officially credit her. Um, what well, the uh, this afternoon? Literally, I was at a conference or at a meeting, I should say, to organize a task force here at East Carolina University to coordinate our digital humanities events. This. This podcast that we're doing here with 10 years of, of archived shows is itself theoretically a digital humanities project, although I had no idea that's what it was when it started. Uh, and we're looking at other things that other people are doing on campus. What's the future of, of digital humanities uh, as you see it? Well, I think that... Um and actually, this goes. The email you sent me you said something. We could talk about how technology is changing the practice of history. That, that's mm-hmm. kind of the same question. Um, sure. And to me, that that's saying that, or I think the future is more about continuity in in a lot of ways. That when I'm looking at a digital tool and thinking about how can we um, do something with this tool that will. It, um, you know, teach students about how to how to do history. Um, you're still going back to documents. You're doing research, writing, um, maybe creating a map, a timeline. All of these things have been around, um, and, and even the relationship viewer. It's cutting edge. It's unique. A lot of people haven't seen anything exactly like it before. Um, but it really gets back to the basics in a lot of ways of what is in the collection you you know it shows people how you can browse and see the collection and and think about documents um, I would say in new ways but it's it's pretty traditional when you really get down to the core of what it's doing um, in the historical profession and as we move forward the the technology becomes more affordable more accessible, uh, more and more organizations, I think, will be doing these things. You'll see more people with titles similar to digital history specialists. Um, I, I think it's one of the few growth fields in um, the kind of museum, library, archives world, um, personally. Well, that, that's encouraging, and, and you know, I certainly hope that that's, <clears throat> that that's the case. Not that it's one of the few, but that it is a a growth field and that we can look for something to expand there. In putting this project together, what what was the most memorable thing that you learned uh, that you hadn't really thought about or known about in terms of the war on the western border? Uh, I would say actually just had the deep impact that it had um, that continues today. So it's it was. I mean, the cliche is brother against brother, and and, and Kansas and Missouri. It was the border war, uh, Jayhawkers against bushwhackers, and 
people, I've heard stories before I started this project about people not wanting to cross over into Kansas and spend money there because they hate Kansas that much. Um, and it, it goes beyond sports rivalries. And that, I think, was really emphasized in this project because everybody is amazed on some level that we were able to cover both sides of the border, and I, I think objectively and equally. Um, and we, we scan documents from archives on both sides of the border. Um, and that's something else that makes this project really unique is that we have documents from 25 different archives. This isn't just one collection. Um, we, we made it one collection out of all of these. And people can see um, so many different places and the stories start to emerge. And one of the most remarkable things that people are shocked about is that two of our grants were from the Missouri State Library, and they actually funded us to do work in Can- on the Kansas side. <laughs> so that may not seem remarkable to some people, but, um, and it's important to tell the story correctly, but that... Um, is just an indication of how deep in history some of these divisions go. It, in terms of public response, did you did you encounter anybody saying, "Oh, you're just telling only the other side"? Did, have, have you gotten partisan reaction anywhere? I we haven't really encountered that yet, and, and I have a theory as to why. I think mm-hmm. a, a lot of them have their own websites, and um, th- there can be some very partisan views. There, there are pro um, guerrilla websites, for example, um, and I think they're probably used to decrying kind of mainstream history that is written by professors who have affiliations with major universities. And um, uh, we, for whatever reason, haven't been um, taken the brunt of that kind of attack. But uh, certainly anybody who would criticize Chris Phillips could also come to our website and criticize his um, essay about uh, loyalty oaths on our website as well. Um, I suppose that maybe that's where the very unshaped nature of a website is an advantage that uh, two different people could spend two hours on the website and look at completely different things in a different order and not come away with the impression that you're slanting it one way or another if they uh, if because yeah. you didn't put things in order. They, they, if they right. choose to look at only Union documents or only Confederate documents, the others are still there. In a book, even if you have them both in, they're in order. One came first, one came mm-hmm. second. Yours are just all out there. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, that's an interesting way of, of looking at it. We have, uh, and we don't have a thesis per se. It's just mm-hmm. that this is an important topic that you should learn about, and, and here are many things theses and many documents, theses. I I constantly uh, try to explain to our, especially our introductory history students here, that you can't just put everything out there and say, let the public decide. Uh, Being a historian requires selection and decision because a book is only so big or an hour lecture is only so long. 
but maybe this is where technology has changed this. You can put out 6,000 pages in 25 archives, and you really can tell the public, hey, here's everything we can find. Uh, you decide. There's still always going to be a market for the historian who can boil that down to a 200-page book sure. and a, give a meaningful thesis. But uh, now you've made the work of the historian something at least accessible to anyone who wants to go to the website. Well, it's a big site. There's plenty to look at. We could talk uh, a long time further about it, but unfortunately, uh, we've come to the end of our time. So uh, I'll just tell our listeners one more time the website name is uh, Civil War on the Western Border.org. It's all one word. It's produced by the Kansas City Public Library and uh, the work of many people, but especially the one we're talking with tonight, Jason Rowe, Digital History Specialist. Jason, thanks for joining us on the program. Thank you, Jerry. And listeners, as always, thank you for listening to Civil War Talk Radio. Thank you for embarking on a part of American history this week. Civil War Talk Radio with Jerry Prokopovich can be heard live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.